Welcome to Time Travelling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Trisha. And I'm Paddy. Today we'll be joining to the Wild West and joining our heroes as they take part in a seminal event from American history in The Gunfighters. We will be discussing the Doctor, the companions, the villains, and giving our thoughts on a score out of five for the story as a whole. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on this story, so you can join the discussion by visiting us at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at timetravellingteam at teamproductions.com. Now though, over to you, Paddy, for the story recap. Thank you. Episode 1, A Holiday for the Doctor. In the old west town of Tombstone, members of the Clanton family ride into town and shoot up the signpost of the OK Corral. The eldest brother, Ike, reprimands his younger brothers, Billy and Phineas, for wasting bullets and says they need to save them for use against Doc Holiday. He leads them to a nearby saloon where they are to meet a colleague named Seth Harper. In a nearby barn, the TARDIS lands and the Doctor emerges holding his mouth, saying that he has developed a toothache after eating a sweet from their previous adventure. He says they need to find a dentist and Stephen and Dodo take in their surroundings to see what the chances of finding one are. They realise where they are and they delightfully head into the TARDIS to change into more appropriate clothing, leaving the Doctor to his agony. They emerge wearing very garish cowboy clothes and the Doctor says that they will stand out too much but they don't seem to care. Stephen really takes it apart, affecting a cowboy accent and tries working on his quick draw but the gun is shot from his hand by a stranger entering the barn. He introduces himself as Wyatt Earp, the famous marshal, and says that he will take them to jail for their own safety, lest Stephen's antics cause troubles with the Clantons. In the saloon, the Clantons meet with Seth, who is a volatile personality and takes offence to his nickname of Snake Eyes, and bring him into their vendetta against Holiday. They inform Seth that they are out to get revenge against Holiday because he killed their brother Reuben, but none of them have actually seen what he looks like. They only know his description as a well-dressed, cultured man who likes to drink and gamble which is why they are waiting for him in the saloon. Their conversation is overheard by Charlie the bartender and Kate one of the singers. She makes an excuse to leave and goes to speak to Holiday, who is currently setting up his dental practice. She tells him of the Clanton's meeting with Seth and urges him to leave, but he refuses to give in to their threats. Their conversation is interrupted by Sheriff Bat Masterson, who tells Holiday that he is barred from all saloons in town due to his luck as a gambler being interpreted as cheating and thus being the cause of many gunfights. Holiday says that he is trying to go legitimate now and leaves with Kate. Not long after, Wyatt arrives with the travellers. The Doctor introduces himself as Dr Caligari and that he and his friends are travelling entertainers and that they have stopped in the town to visit a dentist. Wyatt suggests going to visit Holiday and so the travellers depart, leaving him and Masterson to discuss the potential troubles with the Clantons. They arrive at the dental surgery and the Doctor informs them that he had to come up with that cover story lest they be arrested for vagrancy. He is reluctant to go inside though due to the less advanced dental care of this age, but Stephen and Dodo usher him inside before they go to get rooms in a nearby hotel. Inside the surgery there is no sign of Holiday, but the doctor hears a noise coming from another room and when he goes inside he accidentally interrupts Holiday and Kate as they canoodle. He apologises for not knocking and says he is here to get his tooth seen to, but is reluctant to proceed when he hears that he is Holiday's first customer. He decides to forego Holiday's options up for anaesthetic, which is whiskey or a pistol whipped to the head, and braces himself for the process. Back at the saloon, Kate's absence is felt when Billy Clanton resorts to shooting the bottles behind the bar for entertainment, but only succeeds in chasing the other patrons away. Moments later, Stephen and Dodo enter the saloon where they are ridiculed for their clothes. They ask Charlie for rooms and he hands them a registered sign that includes asking their occupation. He offers them employment at the saloon due to their cover story of Dodo being a pianist and Stephen being a singer, but they decline. As they pass the Clanton's table to go to their rooms, Stephen mentions that the doctor would never forgive him if something happened to Dodo if she replaced the former saloon pianist who was shot. The Clantons hear this and assume that they are friends with Holiday. Their assumption is further increased when Dodo hands Charlie back the doctor's room key and addresses him as such when they ask him for Charlie to give it to him when he arrives. Billy takes the register and begins to question the traveller's story when he notices that Stephen was wearing guns, which is unusual for a saloon singer. Ike sends Phineas to retrieve Stephen so he can't ambush them when the doctor arrives and then sends Seth to find Holiday and bring him to the saloon. Seth arrives at the surgery and mistakes the Doctor for Holiday due to their similar clothing style. The Doctor, assuming that he is being addressed when Seth says the word Doc, talks to him and declines the invitation to the saloon. Seth leaves but says that if he doesn't come then he will come back with the Clantons. Holiday and Kate eavesdrop in the conversation and decide to use it to their advantage by giving the Doctor Holiday's monogrammed revolver and holster and then they send him on his way. Back at the saloon, Seth comes back and informs the Clantons of finding Holiday and confident his veiled threat work informs him that he'll arrive shortly. Stephen and Dodo are brought down and are forced to perform for the Clantons while they wait for the Doctor to arrive, who is oblivious to the trap he is walking into. Episode 2. Don't Shoot the Pianist In his dental surgery, Holiday contemplates what his new identity will be after Doc Holiday is killed by the Clantons. 
He calls out for Kate, but instead he finds a note saying that she has gone back to the saloon. In the saloon, Stephen and Dodo are forced to play the same song over and over again for entertainment of the Clantons. Kate comes back and re-establishes her position as the saloon singer, much to the delight of Stephen and Dodo. However, Dodo is sent away while Stephen is forced to play the piano for Kate. The doctor arrives just as Kate finishes her performance. Seth introduces the doctor to the Clantons, which causes him to realise the trouble he is in, and he tries to make an excuse to leave with Stephen, but his attempts fall on deaf ears. He then realises that they think he is Holiday, and he tries to explain the confusion to them, but again it is to no avail. Unbeknownst to everyone, Holiday has snuck onto the second floor of the saloon and is observing the scene with his Derringer pistol drawn. Kate plays into the charade that the doctor is Holiday, which causes him to draw his gun in a frustrated attempt to show that it is not his. Billy Clanton draws on him, but his gun is shot from his hand, and Kate uses the opportunity to draw her own gun and hold the rest of the gang hostage. She tells the doctor and Stephen to disarm them, while above on the balcony, Holiday replaces his derringer, its purpose having been served. However, Dodo comes out at the sound of the shot and nearly reveals his presence until he forces her back into the room at gunpoint. The Clanton gang take offence at being at a disadvantage to the now gleeful doctor, but their protests are soon stopped when Wyatt and Masterson enter and disarm everyone before asking what happened. Masterson nearly clears up the misunderstanding about the doctor, but Wyatt intervenes in order to preserve the ruse. He addresses him in a friendly manner due to their previous encounter, cementing the Clanton's belief that the doctor is holiday due to the well-known friendship between the lawman and the gambler. Wyatt arrests the doctor for disturbing the peace, leaving Stephen alone to face the angry Clanton gang. In her room, Dodo's detained by Holiday until Kate arrives and fills the pair in on what happened below. Holiday reassures Dodo that the doctor is perfectly safe so long as he is with Wyatt. In the jail, Wyatt echoes the sentiment that it's for the doctor's own safety that he stays there because it means the Clantons can't go to get him. He then leaves him with Masterson while he goes out to find the real Holiday. In the saloon, Stephen is trying to convince the Clantons that the Doctor is not Holiday and says that if he can free him from the jail, then he can prove it. After initially mocking his bravado, the Clanton gang decide to help him as it would be get them closer to their revenge. In Dodo's room, the trio are finishing a game of cards when Holiday decides that he needs a drink. Kate fails to dissuade him from leaving the room, but in the end gives up and lets him back to his surgery to retrieve a bottle of whiskey. White is waiting for him in the surgery and tries to convince him to leave town for his own safety. He says that the Clantons will wise up to the ruse sooner or later and that he can't keep the doctor in jail indefinitely. He says that the Clantons are behind a large-scale cattle rustling operation in the area and he's waiting for his brothers to arrive to help him and Masterson take the whole thing down. He turns down Holiday's offer of help as it might make the situation more volatile and urges him again to leave town. Holiday returns to Dodo's room and tells Kate that they need to leave or else Wyatt will arrest him. Meanwhile, downstairs in the saloon, the Clantons try to convince Stephen that they believe his story and want to help him free the doctor. Stephen is sceptical of this, but agrees to go ahead with the plan for a jailbreak, and then makes his way towards the jail. Ike isn't sure that Stephen believes them, and so he orders Phineas to keep an eye on him. Stephen arrives at the jail and hands the doctor a pistol so he can coerce his way out of the jail, and tells him that he is only ten minutes before the Clantons arrive. The doctor instead hands it over to Wyatt and asks him to go and talk to Stephen to let him know that he is happy to stay in the jail. Stephen is then intercepted by Phineas and brought back to the saloon, where Ike is gathering a lynch mob to take Holiday from the jail and hang him for his crimes against the people of the West. The noise from the mob attracts attention of the trio in the Dodo's room and they see that Stephen tied up and being led through the streets on a horse. Holiday, however, is more concerned that they have the operating chair from his surgery and storms downstairs where he encounters Set. Set realises that he has met the real Holiday and attempts to draw on him, but he is too slow and Holiday kills him instead. He then sends Kate ahead to prepare some horses for themselves and Dodo, who insists they come with her for her own safety, promising to bring her back to her friends once it's safe. The mob arrives at the jail and Ike issues the jail an ultimatum. Give them the doctor or they'll hang Stephen instead. Episode 3. Johnny Ringo. The doctor pleads with Wyatt to let him go so he can help Stephen, but Wyatt refuses. Instead, Wyatt tells Masterson to keep the crowd busy whilst he sneaks out and goes around the back of the crowd to get the drop on them. Masterson refuses to let the doctor out and tells the Clantons that they won't get him so long as he is guarding the jail. Ike then carries through on the threat and tells the mob to start hanging Stephen. However, White intervenes and knocks Phineas unconscious. He disperses the mob and tells Ike and Billy he is taking Phineas in for attempted murder. As they argue, Charlie comes from the saloon and reveals the, that Holiday killed Seth and that the man in the jail is a stranger. The Clantons blame White for the deception which resulted in Seth's death and say that they will report this to their father who will ruin him. They depart, leaving the others to carry Phineas into the jail. The doctor then leaves with Stephen, saying that they will be gone by the morning, much to the relief of Wyatt. The Clantons return to the saloon accompanied by their father, and he orders them to bring Johnny Ringo, a notorious gunfighter, to the town to help them in their vendetta against Wyatt. 
Set says that Ringo doesn't work for anyone and that they may have much better luck taking their case against Wyatt to the town council. Paul Clanton mocks his sons for their ineffectiveness and once again orders them to bring Ringo to him. Moments after they leave the saloon, the Doctor and Stephen return looking for Dodo but Charlie informs him that she has gone with Holiday and Kate. Stephen is worried that she may be in danger due to Holiday having killed Set but the Doctor says that she will be fine and that they will search for the trio in the morning. Later, Ringo arrives in town and is informed by Charlie of the Clanton's request. He turns it down, saying that he has his own business to attend to with Holiday, and Charlie promises not to tell anyone of Ringo's business in town, but Ringo shoots him anyway to keep him quiet. Dodo arrives at a hotel in a nearby township and listens to Holiday and Kate argue over the former's decision to stay close to the tombstone in case he needs to go back and help White in case things go sour. He also cites his promise to return Dodo to the others and then goes to get food for the ladies. However, en route, he runs into an old acquaintance, which causes another gunfight, with Holiday again triumphing and taking the dead man's food back to the room. The following morning, Dodo asks Holiday to make good on his promise to her, but he says that he will take her back once he determines how safe it is. Dodo is annoyed at his answer and holds him at gunpoint, demanding that he take her back immediately. Holiday agrees and Dodo gratefully hands him back the gun. Kate comes in and Holiday tells her that he will take Dodo back to Tombstone and then return for her. He also reveals that he has had his derringer aimed at Dodo the whole time while she was holding the gun, causing her to faint. In the saloon, the Doctor and Stephen arrive downstairs to find Charlie dead and Ringo sitting at a table. He tells them that Holiday did the killing, causing them to ask him if he knows where he is as they are looking to retrieve Dodo. The Doctor suddenly recognises who they are talking to, but before he can say any more about it to Stephen, Ringo recruits him to help find Holiday, but warns him not to get in his way as he will gladly kill him if it means killing Holiday. In jail, Wyatt's younger brother Warren arrives, informing them that he's been sent by their brother Morgan in his stead as he's occupied elsewhere. Warren says that their older brother Virgil is en route as well but doesn't know when he will arrive. The doctor arrives at the jail and tells him that Ringo has arrived and that Charlie is dead. Wyatt leaves Warren behind to guard Phineas whilst he and Masterson and the doctor go to the saloon. Meanwhile, Ringo and Stephen arrive at the next township and begin their search for holiday. They split up to cover more ground and Ringo notices Kate, who he once had a relationship with, and says that he wishes to p- pass on his congratulations for her upcoming marriage to Holiday. Kate lies and says that Holiday dumped her for Dodo and fled with her to New Mexico. Ringo then takes her as a hostage in order to lure Holiday back to Tombstone where he can take his revenge on both of them. In jail, Phineas taunts Warren by saying that his brothers left him alone and that his own brothers would never do so. His taunts prove true when Ike and Billy arrive getting the drop on Warren. They order him to release Phineas, but Billy shoots him when he goes for a gun instead. They release Phineas and flee before Wyatt returns to discover what they have done. Episode 4. The OK Corral At the saloon, Wyatt, Masterson and the Doctor are discussing recent events as they investigate the murder scene. Masterson confirms it was likely Ringo that shot him as he views the Doctor to be harmless. But Wyatt decides to deputise the Doctor as he hopes the Clantons will be afraid to face him again if they still think he is the one that shot the gun from Billy's hand earlier. As they are talking, Wyatt's brother Virgil arrives and they decide to head back to the jail. At the jail, Warren is in critical condition as he tells his brothers what happened, but before they can send for a doctor, he dies. This is the last straw for Wyatt and he sends Virgil to the Clanton house to tell them to meet in the morning at the OK Corral. Masterson tries to intercede by reminding Wyatt it is his job to uphold the law, but Wyatt takes off his badge as he wants nothing but to get revenge for Warren's murder. At the Clanton house, the three brothers return and inform their father and the newly arrived Ringo of what they have done, but their father reprimands them, saying that things will come to a head now and that there is no turning back. Stephen, meanwhile, talks to Kate and says that he will try and escape to inform Holiday of where they are, but Kate says that he is just as likely to kill her as rescue her when she finds out that she is with Ringo. Virgil arrives and delivers the challenge to the Clantons. Stephen tries to leave with Virgil, but the Clantons stop him and they agree to the challenge. After Virgil leaves, Ringo comes out from hiding, having done so to keep his presence from the Earps a secret, and says that he will attack the Earps from behind whilst the Clantons distract them. In the jail, the Doctor is trying to convince Wyatt to stop the vendetta, but it is to no avail. Virgil returns and informs Wyatt that the Clantons have accepted the challenge, and he also tells the others that Stephen, Kate and Ringo are at the house, having seen the latter's horse outside. The Doctor comments that Wyatt and Virgil are completely outnumbered for the fight, but then Holiday arrives with Dodo, who happily reunites with the Doctor, and offers his aid in the upcoming fight. Virgil is reluctant to use his help, as it would mean associating with an outlaw, but when he reveals that Kate is with Ringo, Holiday doesn't give him a choice. The Doctor refuses to take part in the fight and hands back his badge and gives Holiday his gun back. Holiday says that the odds won't be in their favour, and so he starts to plan how to overcome them, but he doesn't tell the others yet. Dodo and the Doctor return to the saloon, but he is agitated over the fact that Stephen is still in danger. 
Masterson arrives and asks the doctor to go to speak to the Clantons and implore them to turn in their guns and await a fair trial in order to save them from being killed by White and the others. The doctor agrees to be deputised again as this will give him a chance to save Stephen. The Clantons and Ringo leave for the OK Corral and the doctor arrives shortly after and meets Paul Clanton. The doctor grows frustrated that Paul won't see reason or to save his sons and informs him that White knows about Ringo and Holiday has also joined him. This fact gives Paul pause for thought but he is too late to do anything. Meanwhile, the two groups make their way towards the OK Corral and the Clantons start to shoot the minute they see the Earps. Holiday is skirting around the Clantons' position and doesn't notice Ringo sneaking up on him. Dodo arrives in time to call out a warning but ends up getting taken hostage by Ringo. Ringo forces Holiday to throw down his gun but Dodo breaks free as he tries to pick it up and Holiday shoots him with his derringer. Ringo dies and Holiday sends Dodo off to safety whilst he goes to join the Earps. The gunfight soon ends resulting in the death of all the Clantons. The travellers are accompanied to the TARDIS by Holiday and Kate who inform them that they are leaving Tombstone due to a bounty being placed on Holiday's head by Masterson. Holiday gives a wanted poster to the doctor as a souvenir and everyone goes their separate ways. Later in the TARDIS the travellers have changed into their normal clothes and the doctor announces that they have landed in the future during an era of peace and prosperity. They then make their way out of the TARDIS failing to spot an approaching savagely dressed figure on the external view screen. End of the story. So, that's it for the story recap. We're now going to go over to the trivia corner with Trisha. So Trish, what have you got for us this week? Thank you, Paddington. The air date for this story was the 30th of April 1966 to the 21st of May 1966. The writer of the story is Donald Cotton. This is the second and last Doctor Who writing credit for Donald. We previously discussed his work in The Mythmakers. He also wrote the target novelisation for this story, The Mythmakers and The Romans. Donald passed away back in 1999. The director for the story is Rex Tucker. Now, this is Rex's only on-screen directing credit for Doctor Who, even though he had been very involved in the creation of the show before Verity Lambert came along, and he was actually originally meant to direct An Unearthly Child. So, all of the initial work that Sidney Newman was doing before Verity came on, it was actually Rex Tucker who was working with him on all of that. And Rex was meant to direct the first episode, which obviously ended up being Morris Hussein, who did that at the end of the day. That's pretty cool. Tucker requested that his director's credit be removed from the closing roller caption of the OK Corral. This is because he had a disagreement with the producer, Ains Lloyd, over the editing of that episode. Peter Purvis and William Hartnell apparently didn't get on very well with Tucker either, who it seems felt that this series was beneath him at this point. And he felt like the series that he had envisioned with Sydney originally was a much higher caliber than what the show had now become so he was a little bit up his own arse Mm. apparently rex passed away back in 1996 so this is the first and only full story of the original series to take place completely within the united states obviously in the chase we had a couple of clips in the united states but this is the first story to be completely set in the u.s and it's the only story of the original run to be completely set in the US. Nice. This is also the first Doctor Who story to have a song written for it, specifically the Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon and Oh Sweet Suffering Jesus. Do I wish they hadn't done that? Paddy didn't include this in the summary because it's kind of hard to describe. Basically, there's a song that plays over the end of every scene, I want to say. Yeah, so every time something happens in it, the singer essentially sings what is just after occurring. For the entire fucking four episodes. Yeah. We will get more to that later. This is the same song that was performed by Peter Purvis as Stephen in the show itself. But most of the song came from an off-screen performance by Linda Barron. So it's this voiceover singing Hmm. the whole time. The whole time. (laughs) This is the last story up until the 2005 relaunch of the show to actually have individually titled episodes. So Paddy no longer needs to remember to say episode something and the name of the episode. Yes, I can just go down to part one. Yeah. (laughs) The role of Johnny Ringo was originally offered to a man by the name of Patrick Troughton. However, he was too busy so couldn't take on the role at the time. But keep that... Name in mind, we will come back to it at some point in the coming weeks. 
all I can say is, thank fuck. (laughs) (laughs) To say this story didn't do well with audiences is probably understating it a little bit. Um, It was not well received at all. This, and this factor played into the higher-ups' belief that historical stories should be done away with. So while this isn't the last historical story, and by historical we mean pure historical, so no alien interference or anything, just a purely historical story, it is one of the final nails in the coffin of that type of storytelling. Which sucks, because I like historical stories. Yeah, historicals have been good. Like We've had some fantastic historicals. Yeah. So on to our cast. Now we have a fairly large cast that are fairly involved throughout the story. So we're going to go through a large number of people. So one thing to call out is that Rex Tucker originally wanted to cast American or Canadian actors as much as possible. But this actually proved to be quite difficult to do in reality. So any of the English actors doing bad American accents, that wasn't what Tucker had intended. He'd wanted to get American or Canadian actors to fulfill those roles. And the accents sort of slip in and out as well, which is all, which isn't great. Yeah, but he he tried. Yeah, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. So first of all, we have Doc Holliday, who is Anthony Jacobs. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for Anthony, outside of who his other acting credits include Warm Peace, The Mill on the Floss, and Madame Bovary. Anthony's son is Matthew Jacobs, who some fans may know as the writer of the Doctor Who movie starring Paul McGann. Oh which was an interesting little fact that was documented. It is. Anthony passed away back in 1993. Okay, the Clanton brothers. This is the only Doctor Who acting credit for each of them. So we have Ike, Phineas and Billy. Ike is played by William Herndl. He was also in Danger Man, Adam Adamant Lives and the James Bond film Goldfinger. William passed away back in 2019. Phineas is played by Morris Good. He was in The Avengers... Ding. <laughs> Quartermass in the Pit and Zed Cars. Ding, ding. Double ding. Morris passed away back in 2013. Lastly, as Billy, we have David Cole. David, again, like we said, this is his only Doctor Who acting credit, but his other credits include Erebus, The Aftermath, Orlando, and again, Zed Cars. David passed away back in 2007. Kate Fisher is played by Sheena Marsh. Again, only Doctor Who acting credit for Sheena. Her other credits include The Dickie Henderson Show, The Dick Emery Show, The Irish Boys, and It's Not Me, It's Them. Sheena also passed away in 2019. Next, we have Seth Harper, who's played by Shane Rimmer. Now, Shane also did the narration for the audiobook of the Gunfighters novelization. So he did the narration of the novelization for the audiobook. <laughs> Again, this is his only Doctor Who acting credit. We're seeing a bit of a trend here with the gunfighters. Shane is probably best known for providing the voice of Scott Tracy in Thunderbirds. So if you're a fan of Thunderbirds, you may recognise his voice from that. He was also in Dick Spanner P.I. as Dick Spanner. The Amazing World of Gumball, Space 1999, UFO and The Spy Who Loved Me. Shane also passed away in 2019. On to Wyatt Earp, played by John Alderson. Surprisingly enough, only Doctor Who acting credit for John. His other credits include Little House in the Prairie, Death Valley Days, and The Man from Uncle. The series, not the movie. John passed away back in 2006. And he was also in one of my favourite movies of all time. He's in Blazing Saddles. He is the guy that gets shot for chewing gum in the henchman line. It's amazing. He's giving his resume of, you know, arson, ma'am. And it's like, are you chewing gum? It was like, you know, was like, did you bring enough for everyone? I didn't know there was going to be so many people. And then they just shoot him. And it's just, <laughs> it's brilliant. Brilliant. So Bat Masterson is played by Richard Beale. This is the second of four Doctor Who credits for Richard. We previously discussed him in the arc where he provided the voice of the Refusian. Johnny Ringo Ended up being played by Lawrence Payne. As I said, they had wanted Patrick Troughton. Hmm. It wasn't possible. So he was played by Lawrence Payne. This is the first of three Doctor Who acting credits for Lawrence. We'll see him again in The Leisure Hive and The Two Doctors. His other acting credits include Interpol Calling, Zed Cars, Ding, The Saint, and Sexton Blake, where he played the title character. 
Lawrence passed away in 2009. Lastly, we have Charlie the Bartender. Poor Charlie. Who's played by David Graham. Now, David provided the voice of the Daleks in all Dalek stories up until the Daleks' master plan, as well as both Dalek movies. He also provided the voice of the Mechanoids in The Chase. This is the first of two credited on-screen roles for David. We'll see him again in The City of Death. Outside of Doctor Who, David is well known for providing the voices of Gordon Tracy, Brains and Parker in Thunderbirds. We have another Thunderbirds cast member appearing in this episode. At the time of this recording, I'm happy to say that David is still with us. (laughs) And yes, I am doing the whole Thunderbirds thing on a string. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Did you have anything else to add? Um, I don't think so. At the moment, cool. no, I'm just, I'm kind of, my mind is going back to our discussion on the sensorites where I compared Barbara to uh, that one Tracy brother that's just stuck up in the space station. <laughs> bastard. <laughs> I'm so lonely. So that brings us to our character discussion, where we'll be discussing the Doctor, the companions, and the villains. Paddy, I will hand it over to you. What are your thoughts on the Doctor? Even the mightiest of time travellers can fall prey to the two pains of a fucking toothache. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, okay, I'm not going to lie, okay? And just to give people a bit of a heads up, William Hartnell, for me, is the only redeeming quality of this story. I would okay. agree. <laughs> he has so much fun here. Like, there's a part here where he's kind of like twirling the, the gun around in his finger. Um, there's a, a fantastic comedic spot where, like, they have Charlie's body on the, the bar and it's there's a tarp on it and he goes to rest on the body. Then he does a double take when he realizes what he's about to do. When uh, he's got the Clanton gang at gunpoint and it's just like Hartnell having so much fun. Like, and like even like his whole thing of like just being like the very perfectly polite prisoner it's like you know though i'm quite happy to stay in the jail thank you very much i'm pretty sure i'll be entirely safe um one thing though that i thought was kind of uh funny uh was oh damn it i just missed the trivia part as well but i can kind of co-opt it into this um one thing that was kind of funny was that up until now the doctor's been fairly good at you know pegging historic events yeah you know and it's like you know, Whitehorp introduces himself and it's like, okay, you've got to be prepared for the Clanton gang, at which point the Doctor should kind of know that, okay, the Clantons are still alive. That means there's a chance this is going to happen as opposed to being completely taken aback by events. Uh, The trivia note that I did have was that he introduces himself as Dr. Caligari and that's a very famous early horror movie, Doctor, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Ah. which stars, uh, there was a remake done Oh, good few years ago, which stars your friend Doug Jones. Ah, yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of a, I thought that was a pretty cool little reference to make. Um, but like again, it's just William Hartle. This is his fun episode. This is almost like him back in the days of the Romans and like the Space Museum, where he seems to be having a small bit of fun at things. And yeah, that that's pretty much my. It's nice to see him back as a constant presence. Yeah, I would agree. I I was so glad that he didn't disappear for a prolonged period of time in this story. Because it's really great to have him back. I had a few things th- that I wanted to focus on. So the first is, the Doctor collects guns well, and keeps them loaded. Yeah, okay, the loaded part, that's weird. Uh, collecting guns and various weaponry, like, well, like, you know, I know he's a man of science, but at the same time... It's... But he also doesn't like guns. Maybe that's why he collects them, to take them out of the timeline. <laughs> Going on with the gun thing. Stop putting on guns. Stop taking them from people, <laughs> even if it's Stephen. I mean, like, what the fuck? Um, also, like, why not explain to Stephen that you agree with Earp's plan instead of taking the gun and implying that you were going to bluff your way out of it? <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? To your point on... You know, should he have known, given the Clantons are still alive and where they are? Should he have known what was going to happen? I kind of like the idea that, like, 
he doesn't know everything. Hmm. You know, we've established that he has particular periods of Earth history that he's particularly interested in, such as the Reign of Terror. He's a big fan of that. He obviously, in the massacre, there was someone that he really wanted to meet there. Maybe hmm. he just isn't particularly interested in the Western West. Yeah, Westerns history. I love him calling Stephen regret. <laughs> I have to be honest. I laughed quite a lot at that. Yes, that that was Stephen's alias. It was Stephen Regret. Yeah. To give, and to they give just keep calling a, him Regret the whole time. <laughs> I love it. To to give it a bit of a Louisiana twang. You know, it's like But yeah, I loved Hartnell in this. There's a few things that are a little bit inconsistent, you know, why all the guns and he kind of he doesn't bumble from scene to scene. But he's not as clued in to the fact that like he's being set up the whole time. Also, I love the fact that he doesn't drink alcohol and he'll happily have a glass of milk. <laughs> yeah. But I would chalk a lot of that up to he has a severe toothache and then mm. they just pulled the tooth out of his mouth with no anesthetic whatsoever. <laughs> so I think his little bits of what the fuck can be excused by excruciating pain. Hmm. We'll give him a pass. But it's like, you know, like the what are the forms of anesthetic? Alcohol or potential death by pistol whip. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's great to see Hartnell back properly and back to his full self. We saw a little bit last week. You know, we had the witful nature of him, you know, hmm. with the toy maker. But it's good to see him back in his proper first doctorness. Yeah. And I'm really glad that we got to see him again. Wear, again, wearing a stylish uh, black Stetson hat. Yes, yes. Yeah. I love how like he sort of calls the guys on their costumes, which are, at least in Stephen's case, very over the top. But then when Dodo comes out with the hat, he's like, the hat doesn't really suit you. She's like, it's not for me, it's for you. And then he's like, oh, yay, I get a hat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, companions? Yeah, let's do... The, the man himself first. So, Stephen. Alright. We can't fucking take you anywhere, can we? Never play with guns, rule number one. And don't carry them with you when you have no intention of using them. What, okay, he dressed up in the outfit, which looks stupid. Go to Google, yeah. look at a picture, it looks horrific. He, he, he looks like... <clears throat> so the way that it is that... Um, like, he looks like a dude. Like those, you know... Like a dude ranch... Absolutely, no, he's, he's like he's like Marty McFly in Back to the Future Three. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's yeah. a good example. Um, so not only did he put on this costume, which was very over the top, even the doctor called him on it, and the doctor has worn some interesting clothing choices in the past. Hmm. But he puts on a gun belt, and puts guns in the gun belt. What are you doing? Have you learned nothing from the doctor? Guns can kill people; they're not toys. And there's like, like the part where like there's a part where he fires the gun up into the air for emphasis, and he just succeeds in bringing a lot of plasterboard down in his head. Yeah, like he's such a fucking idiot. <laughs> I think is my problem. Hmm. Like, and this is the bit that I don't understand about Stephen. And it was kind of okay back in the time meddler time of his time in the TARDIS, but Stephen. Was a a space pilot, maybe, or at least he worked on a spaceship in some capacity before he was stranded on Mechanus for two years, right? Mm -hmm. When we find him, he's bearded up. He's clearly, you know, he's a young man. Mm. So my question is, Stephen, are you a boy or are you a man? Because sometimes he behaves like a child in his naivety and his gullibleness and just the stupid shit that he does without thinking things through. So is Stephen meant to be a boy or is he meant to be a man? Because he can't be both. Yeah, cause no, like, I think he's meant to be a man, but he just has this, like, uh, again, like, I'm getting so frustrated. Uh, sorry, I'm getting so frustrated every week just having the same 
conversation like you know it's like it's just the same thing over and over and over again now i know that we kind of had very similar conversations about barbara and eve but on a positive side of things but there would always seem to be something new mm. that would crop up in each story and no, it was minuscule here it's just like it's the same stupidity over and over again and like this is the thing now is that okay so uh, I didn't realize this until like Trish sent me a message last night and like there was some niggling aspect of other than the fact that you know, Stephen's clothes look ridiculous there was some niggling aspect and what it is is that when Dodo comes out now Dodo is like from like the 1960s period in which case like you know westerns were a really big thing and they had kind of moved into a bit more for the time realistic fashion sense and she was dressed like, you know, a lady of the, like, the kind of, a woman that would have probably lived on a ranch or that kind of thing. She was dressed like that. Acceptable clothing. Stephen is from at least 2,000 years, you know, into the future of that, of that time period. And no, we didn't know what Westerns would become in the subsequent years because, like, you know, they're a lot more gritty now. But you would think, you would think that if they had carried on the same vein as they were in Dodos, he would have known to wear more appropriate clothing. Instead, he comes back like the early heroes. Like even uh, the doctor makes a reference to an early uh, Western actor called a guy called Tom Mix, who, interesting fact, was a pallbearer at White Herb's funeral. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know that from the movie Tombstone, which I would recommend heartily after this. <laughs> yeah, so uh, like again, it's just like this thing over the top thing where the hero is like wearing these really bright garish clothing. That's like. Like why? Why in the name of God are you just acting like such an idiot? And he even tries to affect an American accent. It's like the doctor is staying with his English accent. Why can't you keep an English accent? You're, he's giving you the cover story of your traveling group of a- actors and musicians and whatnot. Just keep the bloody English accent. And like, do I, I'm actually I'm just sick of talking about him now. Yeah, I'm gonna close close this off with one thing. Yeah. Can I have Ian back? No, you can't. But, but I want him. No, we can't have Ian back. All we can hope now is that the repl- uh, whenever Ian's replacement, sorry, when Stephen's replacement, excuse me, comes along, it'll hopefully be better. Okay. Okay. So, Dodo. Okay, so Dodo... Dodo has so much fucking potential and it irritates me that they don't use it right so you're mentioning their clothing choice and their accent choice dodo also affects an accent but she does it a lot fucking better than steven does because she's more subtle about it i think that's the difference between dodo and steven in the story is that dodo is subtle whereas steven Mm. is subtle as a brick to the face the other thing with dodo that i find here is (sighs) steven sent her to her room And she went. If you had Barbara or Vicky, heck, even Susan or Sarah Kingdom, if any of them were told, go to your room and wait while I sort this out, do you think anyone of them would have gone to their room? No. She's really, like, I can't remember who made the comment. I think it was the doctor was, like, commented that she's fast becoming a cliche in story. Yeah. And unfortunately, Dodo, the character, is quickly becoming the cliched Doctor Who companion of she doesn't do a whole lot by herself. She gets captured all the time and she can't rescue herself. Yeah. Which the previous female companions, with the exception of Katarina, who wasn't meant to be a companion anyway, Mm. they didn't have that problem. Like, at one point I had to stop the episode and I literally was sat in my living room going, is she fucking, like, so she was sent to her room. She stayed in her room. Then she came back down a second and got captured by Doc Holliday, who brought her back up to the room again. Then he leaves. And she stays in the room with Kate. And not only does she stay in the room with no one threatening her, she does Kate's fucking hair. Don't stay in the room and do her hair. Leave, you Home? like what the fuck it's, like, it's just like stockholm syndrome it's so crazy and then she comes to really trust doc holiday and i'm like don't trust the man who a kills people and doesn't seem to give a shit and b is keeping you captive even if he does seem to be relatively nice about it 
it is imperative that you try to escape. I'll, I'll be honest now, right? I don't care about Dodo anymore. And what really kind of pushed it over the edge in that regards is when she pulls the gun on Holiday and then he Faints when he pulls the gun back on her. Yeah, and it was, uh, or he just reveals that he had the gun on her the whole time and then she faints afterwards. And I'm like, grand, no, cool, I'm, I'm out. Yeah, I think she's really settled herself as a non-character. No. Which I, I find really unfortunate. And like this, the thing is that I've been waiting and waiting for Dodo to have her standout moment. Yeah. And no, I, I've got, I got nothing. I, 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 like, and at this point in time, is that if a standout moment does come, it'll be a complete surprise because she, yeah, she has become the cliche. Yeah, which, which, uh, she had so much potential. Hmm. She had so much potential. It's so disheartening. And it's not even that I don't like her. Yeah. Like, I don't like Stephen. I think we've <laughs> established that fact. It's not that I don't like Dodo. It's that she's a non-entity, practically. Yeah. So let's move on. Yeah. We have our story-based companions. So, irrespective of how the final fight goes, hmm. we put Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson as our story-based companions and pretty much everyone else (laughs) goes into the villain category yeah and i'll get mad at that in a while (laughs) you're the one who says it (laughs) no 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 no, absolutely this is the thing right i i the way that it normally works is that i think we've kind of established this before is that i'll review the episodes ahead of time and then i'll put down who i think are the heroes and who i think are the villains and we've had like i think one disagreement was Marco Polo way back in the the beginning times, before the Empire. Um, um, yeah, our disagreement over Marco Polo of his positioning there, and then I think most recently on the massacre as to should the Queen Mother have been portrayed as a villain, or, or no, sorry, uh, Marshal Tanave should he have been portrayed as a villain or a historical figure. So whereas with this now, it's like this is the first time where I think I've put someone that is normally portrayed as a hero, a bit of a rogue, but is normally a hero. And I'm just kind of going, no, fuck it, you're a villain. Uh, so that's why I'm mad. I'm mad at the fact that I had to do that. Oh, okay. Or, or no, sorry. No, sorry, it was the same with Odysseus in The Mythmakers. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, Wyatt Earp. What, yeah, so let's start with Wyatt Earp. I, I'm going to tell you something, just in all honesty. I have very little notes on the rest of these characters because I found them so fucking bland and uninteresting. Wyatt Earp seems nice enough. He wants to avoid a dust-up that could only make things worse. The question I have is, if he knew the holiday killed the Clanton's brother, hmm. why is he protecting him? So this is the thing that this story could have been done so much better. It could have been so much better, and it's not really done a whole lot. Is that Wyatt Earp and Doc Holiday have like a really storied friendship in Amer- in like the in Western history? Hmm. Uh, so much so that there's a thing called the Earp Vendetta Ride. It's where the Clintons were actually part of a much bigger uh, faction. And they struck back. Uh, after the OK Corral, they struck back against the Earp family. And they, I think they killed they killed their bro- his brother Morgan. Or they, they killed one of the brothers. And they so Wyatt went off to get revenge. And Doc Holliday was a part of that group. Like They, they have like an amazing friendship, you know, that mm. type of thing. So that's why he's protecting him. But the... The... Um, the fact that Holiday is a villain in this, it's just the way he's portrayed. It's like, it's making you wonder, why are you protecting him? As opposed to being a rogue, Holiday is, I think we're kind of skipping ahead here. I think we're going to mishmash, but it's it's weird. But the the relationship that they have in real, had in real life or in most stories isn't really portrayed well here. So there's a lot of character questions that come in. Yeah, but that, that was my main thing with Earp is that he seems to want what's best for everybody you know, and he explains to the doctor, "Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock you up. They're gonna think you're him. Then they, then he'll go away. We'll tell them that you're not, and it'll avoid everything. Do you know? And and the doctor plays along with this. Like, yeah, cool, that's fine. You know, I understand where you're coming from, but that sort of for the greater good type character doesn't hmm. work when they're undermining the greater good in that one instance." 
and obviously at the end he has the turnabout where obviously his brother gets killed and he goes complete fucking vendetta which you don't really see developed character wise up until this point but you can kind of forgive because it's his brother yeah because like the, the way the way is portrayed is he's portrayed as like a very devout man of faith because he keeps like uh making references to the bible and all this type of stuff so the the turn is pretty much just because the brother died and i suppose that's maybe felt by the other person that we've put down as a and again there's very few notes on this guy from my end is bat masterson um like he's very rigid when he comes to the law and like and i was wondering at the end you know when he puts the, the the bounty on holiday is it a bit of a dick move because like you know holiday came back and he helped save virgil and wyatt i think like for me bat is very much the now see here now you know type type sharp you know where it's you follow the fucking law or you get out and that seems to be very much his thing though he's happy to go along with erp's plan to avoid obviously greater bloodshed and whatever he is very much, this is the letter of the law. That's why he says to Arp, he's like, I can't help you with with this. If you do this, you can't call yourself a lawman anymore. You're, you're overstepping and I can't be a part of it. So I think him putting out the bounty on holiday is, hey, guess what? Yeah. It doesn't matter what good turn you did for your buddy these people were also trying to kill you and this is a very selfish act anyway and you did wrong so bounty on you because you're not a good person at least in this telling of it so the villains yeah so if we start with the clanton gang which is the three clanton brothers and um seth yeah we just lump him in with them I didn't know which one was which. <laughs> yeah. So I've labelled them the eldest one, the one with the stutter and the young hothead. And uh, that's basically the portrayal of the Clanton gang to hear is that all they ever seem to do is just whoop, holler, shoot their guns. And Set seems to... And Set's the only one with a real character that we get to see maybe because he's not a Clanton. And like, it's kind of clear that they rely more on their name, you know, like the strike terror than their actual skills with guns. Um, because like their father just treats them like the three stooges and yeah so like it was you're you're never waiting for them to get the upper hand you're just waiting for them to eventually meet their fate you know yeah they're a very sort of like stereotypical bumbling gang yeah. that you might see do you know yeah. um as it said was probably the only interesting one but even then mm. not that much not that much and then he's replaced by johnny ringo who is like he seems like the only credible threat in the whole story yeah i mean if we do johnny ringo next just to keep the yeah. this going so i agree with you on that he's the only credible threat mm. and like it, the thing is now is that as opposed to being a gunfighter he comes across more like a calculating killer and like i his showdown like or his death at the hands of holiday like again it just seems completely off pace it felt like they should have had like an actual proper in the middle of the street dust up without uh, Dodo getting in the way, you know? Yeah. Although, again, Dodo being a caring individual, mm. but helping the guy who kept her captive for two days. Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think Johnny Ringo, for me, like there are no games with him. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're armed or not. If you're in his way, yeah, you're dead end of and it's interesting that because even though he only appears in the last two episodes he's really kind of billed as like the main villain yeah even though he's only in two episodes Mm. um but in terms of like someone who could actually hurt like realistically hurt our heroes he's probably the only one that you'd be genuinely concerned about yeah okay then we have doc holiday and Kate. Yes. So we do Kate first and then Doc? Yeah. Okay. So the things we do for love. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was like, I'm, 
I'm just asking the question now, right? Uh, and it's probably the lazy writing. I would call it lazy writing. Is that like why would you put an innocent man's life at risk for a guy that at times treats you so shit? Like it's established that uh, Holiday stole Kate. Well, you know, stole Kate from Ringo. But then he he doesn't treat her like a girlfriend or a fiance. He just treats her like a, a piece like of a ass booty on the side. A, yeah, like a booty call. Like, and it's like, and I know like that she's the saloon singer, and like you know, in most Western saloon singers, they have this kind of coquettish type thing about them. But then she has like a heart to heart with Dodo, and it's like, oh, I, I I honestly don't know. <laughs> the thing I find with Kate is that she's very much out for herself. Do you know? Yeah, she is a three-dimensional person and that she does have feelings she's not just a complete vindictive bitch the whole time you know she does have feelings of her own but she is very much out for herself and she's happy to play whatever fiddle is needed to get what she wants it's almost like she needs a bit of a meal ticket yeah and she also likes you know like she went to set up the doctor this man she doesn't even fucking know hmm. and then Obviously, I don't know whether it was part of it or not. She tries to get him out of it at the end. Do you know? Like, when she goes into the saloon later on and she's like, you know, why do you have this boy singing? Like, I should be the one singing. And like, she sort of tries to then guide the doctor along. Obviously, you're buying into the whole he's really Doc Holiday, but also, like, making sure that they don't kill him. <laughs> do you know? Yeah. By sort of telling him what to do. But it's like, she's so fucking weird is the only way to describe it but again the important thing to bear in mind with her is that she thinks she's going to marry doc holiday i don't see that ever happening but also her previous romantic relationship was johnny ringo this woman does not have the best choice in men (laughs) no (laughs) um which you may be like it's a fundamental character flaw for her but then but see like again it comes down to the different portrayals of the characters like because no i Kate is an actual real person. She's based mm. on a real individual. And the only other time I've ever seen this individual portrayed is in Tombstone, mm. where she's kind of... Like, it's almost like an inverse. She's more like Holiday is in this story. Yeah. In in Tombstone. And, yeah, so, like... I. Will we just move on to Doc Holiday? Yeah. <laughs> what a... You prick. You utterly selfish, utterly, utterly, utterly selfish, horrible prick. And like, I know I might have put this down to I've gotten way too used to seeing Doc Holliday portrayed as like the gentleman rogue. Mm. But I kind of made, you know, like I made, you know, with Odysseus, like, you know, Odysseus again is usually portrayed as the great hero, whereas in the Mythmakers he's portrayed as a brute. Mm. And I thought that was an interesting way about going about this. With Doc Holliday, it's like, he's like, he's, Doc Holliday usually portrayed with a bit of an ego about him or a self-assuredness. This guy is just a douchebag. The the first two words I've written down for Doc Holliday, and you get this from pretty much his first scene. He's a total chancer. Yeah. Do you know? Throwing other people under a bus to protect his own skin, playing all these different fiddles, trying to get what he wants. Oh yeah, well I'm going to be respectable now. Do you know? And all this kind of bullshit. Which is fine if that's the way you want to portray the character as a chancer, then that's fine, you know, and you can have him be the, you know, uh, not quite the charming rogue, but just a rogue. You can have, you can, you can make that character choice for him if you want to. Hmm. But he also has caught the infectious dumb of this story. Why take Dodo with you? Why? 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 Like, what possible reason? Is there to take Dodo with you? What is that going to accomplish other than draw people to come after you, you fucking idiot? Mm. Like, just leave her there. She's fine. You know, what's gonna. She can't tell them where you're going. She doesn't fucking know. Yeah. Why take a hostage that you are then going to be like, I really should take her back, actually? She'll be my excuse to go back. Is that the only reason? And I'm like, what the fuck? So yeah, he caught the dumb. But the thing is, like as well, like like even at the end when he comes back, like it's, it's it's entirely self-serving. I I, I think like that you know he says about oh I promise Wyatt. It's like no, I I think you're just 
It's because Johnny Ringo took your girl that you want to go yeah. back. That's it. And it's like, it's in, that's all it is. Like, you have a chance to eliminate them and, you know, like Ringo and the Clantons in one fell swoop and just cover your own ass. And it's like, no, I'm, yeah. And like, uh, was it, I think at this point in time, Doc Holliday had TB. Mm. Uh, so I was just like, you know, <laughs> after this portrayal, you know, fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and an honorable mention to the real villain of the piece, that fucking singer. I kept, ex- like, I just really wanted at some point for, like, you know, Wyatt or the Doctor or someone to look off camera and just say, shut up. At which point you see a piano player and uh, the singer just kind of going, well, sorry. I'll get to it in my overall, but fuck me. And you know what the worst is? That song has been stuck in my fucking head for days. <laughs> and it'll never leave now. No. <laughs> It won't. Bastards. So, um, I think I understand part of what you're going to say next, Paddy, if our character discussion was anything to go by. But let's put our listeners out of their misery. What was your overall thoughts? Thoughts? That's not a word. What were your overall thoughts and your overall score for the gunfighters? Cool. Doctor Who, yay! Westerns, yay! The gunfighters, fuck this story. Honestly, uh, <laughs> it's a zero point five. It's 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 a point five of a score. The old, as I said at the start, the only thing I like about it is the Doctor. Um, everything else can like it, for me, it can go a swing. Um. I see the thing is again like another one of my favorite movies is the movie Tombstone and I suppose maybe I've gotten I had that colored so much but at the same time when we were talking about the Mitmakers I I liked aspects of the Mitmakers I really did which is why I got like a high score and even though I do like the Iliad and I like the movie Troy I made my piece in the kind of the separation of that whereas with this it's like no I honestly I do not like this story at all and that is pretty much my <laughs> thing on it. <laughs> so, I think the story would have been grand. Grand, but not good. If you removed the fucking song. The song made, using it as part of the intro, like when the Clantons first walk in, Okay, interesting choice. You know, you just have the little song playing over the top. That's interesting. But Jesus, every fucking scene for four episodes, it makes the whole damn thing unwatchable. It's ridiculous. And like, they keep trying to build up suspense and drama and it doesn't work because it's all undermined by that stupid fucking song. (laughs) Like... This is another situation of we have a story happening around our characters, but not really happening to them. Mm. And like, it, this bothers me so much because like I said, they use this as one of the nails in the coffin of historical stories. And while I wasn't a fan of the massacre, you know, you were saying that the historical aspect of that was actually quite interesting, do you know? Um, I wasn't a fan of the massacre personally, but like, what happened to historic stories like the Aztecs, the Crusade, Marco Polo, the Romans? Really fun, engaging historical stories to watch, and instead, we get fucking Stephen looking like he fell out of a fucking costume shop, singing that he's in the Last Chance fucking saloon. Like, it's just, it's horrific. I have never in my life wanted to give back a doctor i paid for this fucking thing i bought this story on dvd and i want my money back because this was the biggest pile of shit saying that i said to myself i didn't go as low as you did okay i think the only reason though is it's not that i'm not a fan of westerns I, I, I have no love or hate for westerns. 
So for me, this wasn't them fucking up a Western. <laughs> it was just another story. Do you know, I'm not anyway pushed one way or the other. But I gave it a one. No, that's fair. And the only that's reason fair. it got a one is because Hartnell is back to being Hartnell, which I have missed this season. And that gave it a one because I was so happy for that. But that is the only thing that saved it in any way, shape or form. And if anyone wants to buy my copy of The Gunfighters, please fucking reach out to me because I can't believe I wasted money on this fucking shit story. So, I think with that in mind, that's a good point to wrap up the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Join us next week. (laughs) We'll be following the TARDIS crew on their next adventure in The Savages. And crossing my fucking fingers is better than this shit. Until next time, guys. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye.